Welcome to the Expecting Aerialist podcast. So glad to have you guys here with me. Today I have Holly Nagatoshi. She is the director of nurses and longtime pediatric nurse. She gives us new parents guidance on choosing a pediatrician, how to survive the first few months of the baby's life, and shares her opinion on lots of things that she knows a lot of things about. She is the mom of one of my students who I started with when she was 13, but now she's an adult. So I've known them for a while. She's my LA mom, really the person on my speed dial when anything happens with my child and I just feel out of my depth. I'm out of, I have no idea what the hell is happening. And she puts me at ease and, you know, is helping to educate me about being a parent. So without further ado, here's my interview with Holly. So for my listeners out there, Holly is like, (laughs) I call her my LA mom. Yeah. Even though she's not more than seven years older than me, but uh, her, her kid. I really am, but we'll pretend I'm not. (laughs) I'm, I'm very, uh, what's the word? I live really young generally. Yeah. I'm, I think the word is immature slightly, but that's okay. (laughs) Holly's like had adult responsibilities for a really long time because her daughter, who is now going to be a junior, senior, senior in college. (gasps) Is she going to be a senior? 21. What happened to the wine tour you were going to take her on? Oh my God. And life got in the way. That's what (laughs) happened. 21. She drove me around on 16th and you did. You drive around on 21. Oh my God. We're going to have to, I'm going to have a lot to, I have a lot to make up for you guys. So when I first met Holly, Lauren, her daughter was only 13 years old and she came in and she said, all I want to do is learn to do a hip key in the air. And that was the beginning of our story and never finished. She trained with me throughout high school, became such a great aerialist, and then is now such a great student in college. She, (laughs) and Naveen just loves to see your face. And Holly was just like such an amazing, um, she's such an amazing mom. She's an amazing friend to me and all of our community. And then also, she is not just a pediatric nurse. She's director of nurses at many hospitals by now. Um, And she's the one that I call when I'm like, why is the poop green? Oh, my God. Do I go to the hospital? And she's like, take a deep breath. And she lists like, 10 symptoms that my daughter's not having. And she's like, is she having any of those symptoms? And I say, no. And she's like, she's fine. Chill out. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to bring Holly on the podcast because um, I feel like for a lot of my listeners and for a lot of my friends, we're having kids for the first time. We're on our first kid. And you bring that little bundle of alien menace home and you're like oh my god I'm so out of my depth I don't know what the heck I'm doing (laughs) and sometimes you don't need to go to the ER you just need somebody who knows things to put you at ease this is true this is true so she's had she's had she has two wonderful kids who are now capable adults with it which I think is the goal right yes wise decision making yes adulting little people (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
And um, I thought I would bring her on here to kind of guide us new moms, especially when you first bring that bundle of joy home and you're clueless. So I'm going to back it up to prenatal. One of the biggest things that was a surprise to me in the process of being pregnant was that they wanted me to pick my pediatrician before the baby came. And this was like such a curveball to me because I was like, well, I don't know how to pick a pediatrician. What do I ask? What do I look for? Like, do I meet the person? Do I do a consultation? Do doctors even do that? And then, then I find out the doctor has to be affiliated with a hospital that you're birthing at, at least unless you want to change your doctor later. It was really confusing for me and Holly helped me through that. So um, for the listeners, can, can you kind of walk us through the process of what a mom anywhere in the world might, might think about and ask and do when finding a pediatrician for your unborn child? Totally. Same thing that we went through. You know, you sit around an area on the carpet while you guys are flipping around and talk about things. <laughs> Everybody listen in and laugh about it <laughs> over the panic mode, which you really don't need to panic about, right? Oh, you get, yeah, there's a lot of panic mode and the teacher's like, take a deep breath. Right. It's okay. Same thing. <laughs> so usually find out about it at your OB's appointment when, like you said, prenatally, the doc goes, so who's your pediatrician? And you're like, uh, baby's not born yet. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm like, oh, one more thing I didn't know about. <laughs> so, yeah. So most of the OB doctors, they work pretty closely with the pediatricians because they refer to them. And then the pediatricians likewise refer back to the OB docs. So there's a relationship there. Plus they work with the same docs at the hospital they deliver at, that you're going to deliver at. Okay, yeah. But you don't have to feel like you have to pick a pediatrician that's on staff at the hospital where your OB is. I mean, it's convenient, yes. Oh, okay. But most doctors will belong to one or two hospitals maximum, usually near them, where they like to deliver, where they know the staff and stuff. Um, and uh, so... You don't necessarily have to do that because they all have people on staff that can see and do that first 24-hour visit after baby's born. So you could be traveling somewhere and be out of state, out of the county area, wherever you are, and deliver. You will see a pediatrician once before you leave the hospital. And then they send a report to whatever pediatrician you choose. So don't feel like, oh, my God, I don't have a pediatrician. My baby arrived two months early and now I'm stuck and I'm going to get this horrible pediatrician that I didn't get to interview. Not a problem. Don't sweat it. Okay. You got like three days after delivery to even go and find, you know, somebody after that too. So don't worry about it. First things first, probably insurance is kind of a thought, right? I mean, everybody. Yes. Right. Worries about that part because it's uber expensive if you're out of network. So that's all confusing. Start with looking at your insurance. Your insurance probably has a list of people that are in network or out of network, which means that if they're in network, you're going to pay less. And for some that belong to like a Kaiser or a large plan or something like that, you'll have choices within that plan. So when you go for all those well-child checkups, you aren't going to pay pretty much anything out of pocket for the most part. So most things with kids are covered. So okay. um, the most important thing when you're finding a pediatrician and you need to be able to trust them, because this is usually somebody that you're going to spend the next 18 years of your child's life talking to, trusting and more important, your baby has to be able to grow up to a teenager and trust that doctor too. Mm. To have conversations behind closed doors without you there, like it or not, <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. you could pick somebody super experienced, but if they're 60 years old, you just have to know that by the time your kiddo's going into middle school, 
you're probably going to have a partner or somebody else looking at them at that point. You know, I didn't even think about that. That's a really good thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and, and experienced doctors are great. They're great. It's good to pick a practice that has more experienced physicians in it and younger physicians as well, too, because they have the newest and greatest information as they go through school. But also, too, in 10 years, they're still going to have a relationship with your child. Like our kids, Lauren and Ryan, they totally will talk to our doctors anytime because they grew up with them. Okay. You know? Okay. And they've seen them every six months, every year for their entire life. You know? So. Right. So basically no pressure, no pressure if you want to change within that first year. Like, okay. But you have to be able to trust your doctor. So you kind of need to have a conversation with whoever you are with in raising your child to talk about what kind of pediatrician you want, you know, big practice, small practice, close by convenient. Does it fit into your hours? Does it not, you know, your thoughts on vaccination and treatment and all those kinds of things, you know? So, you know, have an idea of that. And then you go from there. I think there's a couple of key things that I think you have to have in this day and age. You have to find a board certified pediatrician. So what does that mean? That means that they take an additional test beyond medical school, go through additional training that qualifies them to get nationally board certified in pediatrics. Okay. So you have family doctors, which you can go see. And a lot of people brings their kids to see family doctors, which means they treat kids from zero to 102, all age ranges. But a doctor or pediatrician who's boarded in pediatrics means they've specifically done training with pediatrics. They've qualified as a resident. They're able to sit for an exam and they have a national board certification that they have to maintain with ongoing education. And so they're really good with kids. So after the physician's um, name, you'll see FAAP, Fellow American Academy of Pediatrics. F-A-A-P. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes so that people can just click on the link and go to the website. American Academy of Pediatrics there. You can look for links and stuff on there too. You also want to pick a pediatrician that's on staff at a hospital because hospitals have to credential. It's called with credentialing physicians. So they do all the background checks for you. So, you know, you're not going to see some, you know, horrible doctor with med mal, you know, mal- malpractice issues and things like that too. So pick a doc who sees patients and is on staff at a hospital. Y'all, don't you wish you had this person on your speed <laughs> dial like I do? It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty useful. So boarded on staff and somebody you can trust. And you find out if you can trust them by having an interview with them ahead of time. Okay. I love it. Okay. So baby comes home with you. Can you talk about the gamut of things that we might experience with the brand new baby that no one ever tells us about that we should not panic about and maybe things that we should panic about? Like... Is there a commonality of what parents are like really experiencing and they're bringing their kid in and nothing's actually wrong? I think it's really hard for new parents, especially if you don't have a large family, if you're not around kids a lot or you haven't had that experience, it can be really kind of scary because there's no like instruction manual, as people say. I personally like pediatricians that work with nurse practitioners in their office versus physician's assistants or a lot of other people that you rarely see the physician or the NP. But that's my bias as a nurse, of course. PEs are good too, but... Of course. Yeah. It's okay. So yeah, what are what are those things? Like, for example, like all things peeing and pooing and coliciness and, 
not sleeping through the night? Like, what are the things that 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 new parents might want to know that were never told or never specified? I think you can get too wrapped up and Google everything. I think the first thing the parent needs to do is try not to Google and okay. panic over everything you read on Google when you come home. Babies do pretty well overall, right? And I think that, you know, you love them, you feed them, you change them. It's all good. You know, everything else will get figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're pooing good. They're peeping, you know, peeing good. They're crying. Crying's a good thing. They're making noise. And eventually they should stop. If it's nonstop, that's more concerning, you know, but babies cry. And hopefully they'll stop crying by the time they're 18. But it does stop. <laughs> I feel like I know plenty of people who haven't stopped crying past. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it ever stopped, but it really does. But sometimes those nights can be really long and your baby's safety has to come first. You know, if you're tired, call somebody else, hand off to somebody else just so you can get two or three hours sleep. Yeah. If baby sleeps, you sleep. It's not baby sleep and that's time for me to get crap done. It's baby sleeps, you sleep. Because you can't think and take care of baby well if you're too tired. And that's a big thing. Yeah. You know, I I found it really hard to sleep when she slept, but I was going through postpartum anxiety and I would just have so much anxiety when I was trying to sleep. I couldn't get rest very easily. But, um, but I think there are moms that are like, okay, I got to get all like 10, 15 things done in this 45 minutes. And it just builds up. And after a few days of that, a week of that, two weeks of that, you just, you're constantly tired. And that's where you can make mistakes, like fall asleep in bed with baby, which is really dangerous, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. Ask for experienced moms. Moms have been through it. You know, it doesn't have to be a nurse or, you know, a nurse on speed dial, you know, like you have. It can be, you know, family friend who's got kids that are, you know, three, four, five years old that, you know, you look at their kids, you're like, okay, they turned out okay. (laughs) You know, ask for help. Put a call out to somebody. Well, I mean, I was raised in the 80s and somehow I'm alive. Yeah. Somehow. You know. (laughs) Oh my God, so funny. So what if you have a toddler and they take a big spill? They take a big giant spill. They're not bleeding. Mm-hmm. Carrie calls Holly. Oh my God, my child just took a huge spill. I'm freaked out. Should I go to the hospital? Is there internal bleeding? Is she going to like pass out? And then what is, what, is your, uh, what is your response? Are they crying? Are they acting appropriately for their age? Yes. Yes, Holly, she's crying crying is a good thing you know i'd be more worried if I, i'm yes holly she's crying <laughs> she's screaming right off right she's got a boo-boo now you know if they're crying and acting appropriately and normally as they feel you know as they should be responding to that it's not a huge thing to worry about it's not like you you know every time they fall you're going to go and get a cat scan in fact it's totally not recommended they should be responding as they normally would for age appropriateness if they fell and hit their head and now they're not waking up and not responding not screaming their head off yeah, I'd be a little bit more concerned, you know, call your pediatrician, whatever, if you need to. And that's the other thing you got to, when you look for your pediatrician, you got to find somebody whose office staff is willing to take calls, who have odd hours, who's got other services covering them when they're not there. Okay. You know, who has Saturday appointments, et cetera, that can relieve your worries if you don't have somebody to talk to. But yeah, if they're acting normally, just wait and see how it plays out. If, you know, five minutes later, they're acting normally and everything's good, then good. You know, clean the boo-boo up a little ice pack on it which a toddler probably won't keep on it but give them a couple extra hugs wipe the tears away and move on 
if they start vomiting and they can't stop vomiting, if they, you know, this or that, whatever's going on, then that's something you should probably call your pediatrician about if there's something abnormal going on after that. My, then my last word is a text that says, are you sure she doesn't have internal bleeding? And then Holly repeats her list of things. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, when we're wiping the tears of my child, we're also wiping mine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I'm panicking. I said, I don't know if she has internal bleeding, but she's acting normally, it's a good sign. (laughs) And guess what? You're acting normally as a parent too. And then there was the time that um, I don't know what age she was. She might have been six months and like she was like pooing, 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 pooing all her life. And then we hit a time we hit this period where she didn't like poo for like we were like on day seven or something. And so I call Holly. (laughs) Holly, she hasn't pooed in seven days. And then Holly says to me, do you poo every day? (laughs) Actually, I do poo every day. (laughs) I have, I have IBSD, so I poo more than a normal person. So, so is she peeing? She drinking? She says, as long as those yeah, diapers are wet and she's drinking water and she's drinking all the liquids, you're okay. Just give it time. Just keep on watching. And of course, on day eight, like the poo came. Big poo. Big, huge, <laughs> like epic poo. I mean, that's long, but they're hydrated and they're acting normally. Like I said, you know, and apple juice or whatever else your pediatrician recommends and, you know, mm-hmm. it all comes out okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a really, uh, I, I decided, I thought about this and I was like, okay, I'm going to ask you because I think it's really important. So the whole vaccine thing in America has become really, really like complicated conversation. Mm-hmm. And as a very like middle of the road parent, like I'm. I've, I've always been one that um, believes I should vaccinate my children. I have vaccines myself in my body. I vaccinate my, my, my child. But I have to say that if you allow yourself to go down the rabbit hole on Google, it can be just really scary. You know, like normal people who have a lot of like logistical, rational sense who have taken vaccines in their life can go down that rabbit hole of Google and just get scared. So I wanted to ask you if you could put people's fears to rest. Um, you've given me this 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 spiel slash slash uh, lecture before, and I think it's helpful to come from a woman who's just seen so many kids go through, you know, the stage of their, you know, the the beginning stages of their life, and and what you've seen um, in the hospital setting. So I mean, you know how I feel about vaccines. I believe every child should be vaccinated. I'm a supporter. I don't tie it to left or right. I tie it to, we have something that can save children's lives. If you don't see a child that dies in front of you, it's easy to read Google and go like, oh yeah, it's not that important. Oh yeah, that's a risk I don't want to take. But you know, I worked 10 years in a children's hospital. I've seen kids die of preventable illnesses if they'd had vaccines. And the saddest part is, is some of it, did not come from that child. It was from somebody who wasn't vaccinated, who was around them. So that other parent who decided not to vaccinate their child got this child sick. And now that kid died in another parent's arms in our ICU of something that could hundred percent have been prevented. And, you know, there's a reason why you go and see a doctor, a nurse practitioner, whoever it is, is to treat their medical concerns. You just asked me about falling down and hitting their head. You talked about 
um, their pooing and all the other stuff. You talk, you know, you ask about things that a pediatrician has studied years for college, afterwards, specialties, ongoing research and studies, vaccines that have been around for a long time, um, 10 years or longer for almost every vaccine out there. And, you know, it's easy to read something and decide, oh, yeah, that's not safe. Oh, something's bad could happen with this or that. But even with autism or anything else, there's not the research out there to support that vaccines cause that. There's so many other things, you know, chemicals in the food, exposures, where you live, upbringing, you know, all kinds of things that can create behaviors that are concurrent with getting a vaccine. And it's easy to point that out. It's easy to find any research study you want. Your pediatrician, your nurse practitioner, the person who you trust for your medical care, um, needs to advise you in that in terms of if you really have questions or concerns. And some of them, if people are that concerned, then work on a schedule where you can separate them out if you feel like separating out. But kids are built, just like kids are built with strong hearts and strong lungs and kidneys that work and they haven't been eating and drinking and smoking for, you know, 30 years. They've got strong working immune systems and giving them vaccines helps them to boost their immunity and protect themselves and protects other kids around them from illnesses that can leave them um, neurologically impaired, dead, um, and things like that. You know, it's like, it's like kind of, you know, I kind of equate it to, I talk to people sometimes like wearing a seatbelt, you know, you wear a seatbelt and people talk about, well, there's studies out there that if you wear a seatbelt, you could get stuck in a car and not be able to get out of it in an accident. Right. So does that mean you don't wear a seatbelt in your car? You know, it's like vaccines. Okay, so some people heard, you know, this can happen with vaccines or that can happen with vaccines. Okay, so you're not going to vaccinate and take that risk that you could, your child could get pertussis or meningitis or something like that, or rotavirus and get dehydrated and die. That's a decision for a parent, I think, you know. Um, but there's so much good research out there mm-hmm. that supports vaccination and the safety. Vaccines are very, very safe. They're very safe. And you can have happy and healthy kids um, and not have to worry about a lot of this stuff. And you haven't seen it because a lot of these illnesses have been eradicated. Mm-hmm. But but now that are coming yeah. back, stuff like epiglottitis, you know, you're having kids die of chickenpox when there's a chickenpox vaccine. Your kids die of meningitis. Because meningitis is preventable if you get your vaccine, you know. So there's all kinds of things like that. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, the vaccine rate dropped down. You know, like in Japan, they decreased their vaccination rate of pertussis, the breakout of pertussis. You know, thousands of kids got sick and some of them died. You know, I'm not willing to take that risk with my children, mm. nor to risk my children infecting other children as well, too. Yeah. And if you have concerns, you need to be able to sit down with a pediatrician. Somebody can walk you through those concerns you know, really talk about it. And I appreciate having Holly in my life because, you know, she's just like another really skilled and knowledgeable voice that, you know, I can reach out to. So I'm really grateful for that because I, I try not to do that. I try not to go down the Google rabbit hole. I try to just talk to the people in my life that care about me and who care about my kid, you know? So, but that is, that is a big fear. I'm not going to get all sciencey on you. You know, I won't get all science you on why vaccines are safe, but it's like, it's okay. Gary, <laughs> I would totally have her vaccinated. 
hundred percent. Just like I would my own kid, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I, I had that fear just, you know, reading a little too much and here and there. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to hear that from, from Holly. Holly, do you have any, I know it was a long time ago. Your kids are now college or beyond, but do you have any, do you have any birth story that would be interesting for our listeners? Mine or other people's? <laughs> um, I don't know anything, anything you want to share, either you having one of, one of, uh, Lauren or, or Ryan or, or birth stories of people that you've seen go through it. Do you have any fun and interesting stories? Oh my God. The first baby I delivered, it was hilarious. That's why I'm not a labor and delivery nurse. It scares the crap out of me. Oh, I want to hear. <laughs> you don't get scared very easily. What happened that scared you? So this is when I was working EMS um, a long time ago and uh, responded to a call. And this lady was in labor and um, she was, you know, on the third floor. And of course the elevator didn't work. So we walked down the stairs and, you know, we don't carry them down. If they're still, you know, they still can walk and, you know, how far apart your contractions are like 10 minutes apart. And I'm like, okay, what's your history? You know, we're walking down. I asked like two more questions and she's like, oh, I'm having another. I'm like, okay, that's not 10 minutes apart. <laughs> and we're like, like halfway down to the second floor, <laughs> like walk faster, walk faster. <laughs> We get to the back of the ambulance. We get in the back of the ambulance. My partner starts driving away and she starts like, it's coming. It's coming. I'm like, okay, pull over. We're going to deliver this baby. And I'm all excited because this is my first baby and my partner's, you know, the senior member of the team. And I'm like, this is so cool. It's my first baby. And he's like, mine too. I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I got like a partner that's knowing what he's doing. So I said, okay, well, this is what happens. Bucks, I go in, water's not broken. I'm like, nope. That didn't follow the book step one. The water's supposed to break first. Doesn't always happen. Don't freak out. Baby still comes out. So we broke the water. Baby had the, the cord around the neck twice. Um, got the cord off the neck. And how did you know that before? Because the baby's head came out and you saw it? Yep. So, you know, we did the maneuver to get the cord off of the baby's neck. Um, and then baby came out. We warmed him, dried him, screaming his head off, pink as anything. We we're totally excited, high-fiving and everything. Um and then it was time to cut the cord. And we're like, uh, okay, but isn't, you know, on TV, you see dad's supposed to cut the cord, right? Or, you know, partner or whoever's supposed to cut the cord, not usually the, the doctor, whoever. Right? It's kind of like, I don't know, the social or cultural thing to do because <laughs> that's not in the book. So we let dad cut the cord because he was in the ambulance and we're walking out and a nurse comes walking up to us and like, you guys made a mess. You didn't clamp the cord on one side, you know, the placenta cord's leaking all over the floor from mom. You know, it always bleed now. We just we just kind of made a mess. Um, so we walked by the baby too, and baby's in the scale, and it had the cord with two clamps on it. The dad cut on the opposite side of the cord than he needed to instead of between the cords. Oh, and I was like, oh my god, it was funny. It was cute, and I was like, eh. and after that, delivered another about seven babies in the field. It was fun. Lauren getting, uh, Ryan getting delivered. Well, everybody was watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire while I was, you know, <laughs> screaming my head off. <laughs> oh, and the TV was on the wrong side of the bed because probably a guy designed the room instead of, you know, woman who's got to lay on their left side, right? While they're <laughs> waiting to deliver. Oh my goodness. So did you end up having them both without a C-section? Lauren's pregnancy and delivery is a little bit more complicated. I was pretty close to having a C-section with her. My blood pressure was really high. So my doc said, I'd give you three more pushes or you're going to have a C-section. So anyway, luckily we didn't deliver. So she's my mini me. 
She's my mini me. It's pretty cool. Since you're my LA mom, some general parenting advice. Wow, that's a lot to cover here. I know. Give me, give me a, give me a jewel. You know, I think loving your kids and listening to your kids, no matter what the age, is really important. You know, whether they're two year olds and not forming words, or whether they're ten years old and having friend issues. You know, listening versus trying to solve all their problems is always a good thing. That's challenging sometimes, though, right? Even works when even works when they're eighteen and going through rough stuff, and you know, or when they're twenty one and you know, serious boyfriends and girlfriends and stuff. You know, then they'll always trust you to listen to. You. They'll trust you to listen to them, but not there to solve everything. Trying to let them solve things, even at five, you gotta let them try and solve their own things. You know, um, Holly's Holly's one of the best moms I've ever I've ever met. She. Uh... She's somebody I look up to as a mom to she lets her kids grow and and make mistakes and with boundaries, boundaries. Yeah, she's an amazing mom. And she's an amazing mom to our entire group of friends, (laughs) even though age wise, you're not really that much older than us. As a new parent, I feel like there's a lot of advice that I look for for, you know, just keeping the alien alive right out of the womb. And then later it's going to be a lot more questions of like, Oh my God, what do I do about this kid? That's bullying my child. What do I do about picking schools? I was adjacent while uh, Lauren was going through high school and there's so much drama at high school. We started her at 13. Yeah. Like this girl got picked to be the lead because of some like really underhanded reason and things aren't, straightforward in high school. And sometimes the teachers and, and administrators act like children themselves. Man, I don't know how you did it. You become president of the parent association. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you did. Change the rules from the inside. <laughs> you cracked me up. Oh my God, it's so funny. Um, yeah, so... Okay, so for the moms out there who live at anywhere in the world, you gave a couple resources. Are, are there any resources for um, moms to use as resources to get through that first year? You know, I think, what, like I said, once you find that good pediatrician you trust um, in their office, whether it's, you know, their group has, like I said, nurse practitioner them and whatnot, they usually have resources that they work with in your community, especially like before. I think a lactation consultant is a great, great resource. And most pediatrician offices will have a lactation consultant. And the reason why I say that is because breastfeeding is really important, even if you can do it for a short period of time um, for whatever reason, or you decide to do it for a year. The benefit is, is that they teach you that, but they also teach you a lot of baby basics and they relieve a lot of those things that you were stressing about. So when they're over at your house for an hour or two, you know, that, you know, 40, 50, $80 investment is something that will help you with your baby the first few weeks, your home, a whole lot more than just teaching you how to breastfeed. Like total baby basics. Think of it as a one-on-one, one-on-one training session. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's probably the best investment new, new parents can get because it's not coming from aunt or mom who's telling you how to do things when they did things a hundred years ago. It's coming from a neutral party who really knows what's best for your baby in terms of care. You know, you don't get just get to breastfeed and you're like, here's how you change a diaper. This is what the poop should look like. This is how you hold them. This is how you swaddle them, you know, and those are the things that it's really worth it. So if you have find a pediatrician, ask who they use as a lactation consultant and have them come over once or twice the first you know week or two that your baby's home. Okay. Um, or even the first, you know, 
24, 48 hours. It really helps to put a new mom's mind at ease, especially if you haven't had that experience with kids before, or you don't have somebody like, you know, who can drive by and go, Hey, how's it going? Or, you know, help you out with things. So that's one, I think one perk, um, the vaccine information, you know, a lot of people with all this, you know, COVID vaccines and everything else, there's actually really good, safe information on CDC vaccine information sheets, questions parents commonly ask about vaccines. Um, that's always a good website. The science is clear. It's straightforward. It's accepted, you know, um, for many, many years. So there's that. Um, any children's hospital websites near you, they have a lot of information and resources on there as well, too, you know, that they validate and go through and make sure that it's accurate and correct and everything else. Um, so that's also a good resource. And also go to a parent that you trust, you know, find a parent that you look at or kids that they raised that you like how they raised and who do you go for a pediatrician? You know, how do you raise them? How do you deal with this type of behavior, or that type of behavior, you know, things like that. So, you know, listen to your kids from birth till 42 or 52 or however old they, <laughs> they get, um, you know, and, ju and just be them for them. But, you know, I think with kids, it's really important you set limits and you're not, <laughs> you're not trying to be your friend more than you're trying to be their parent. You know, it's a different relationship and you just, I have to accept that Lauren's relationship with you is very different than mm -hmm. my relationship with her as a parent. She'll talk to you about stuff she won't talk to me about because she, you're her coach and she trusts you and she loves you. You know, you're like a big sister to her. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, you have, but I think a lot of parents try to be their best friends and sometimes that's not what kids need. I mean, there was a day where Lauren's relationship with me, she would stop telling me things because I became not a peer to her. I was never a peer. I was always her coach. But like there came a day where she would tell stuff to her peers and not to her coach and not to her mom. <laughs> and I felt that. I was like, you oh, my baby's growing up. And now she's grown. Now I can go to a bar with her if I really want to, which I will. Do, I will do one day. Holly, you'll be excited to know that I finally weaned my child off my boob. But that's great. That's really, really good. It only took 19 months. That's really good. It's better than I did. I, I didn't want her on there so long, but my child just loves it. She loves it. And it's been a fight, but I've gotten her off. She's not going back on. My boob is, and only one of them worked. Only my right boob ever worked. It's confused. It's trying to make milk and trying to stop at the same time. You know what? Don't worry about it. It won't be making milk at age 50. So eventually it'll stop too, just like the crying. I'm ready for my body to go back to normal. So, <laughs> oh my God. I, and I also started sleeping full nights like a week ago. Nice. Like it took 19 months to sleep through the night. <laughs> <laughs> I survived. See, we told you. Holly, I I uh really thank you for your time and for your wisdom in my life and thank you for sharing it with all my listeners and um You're welcome. You can call me anytime. Yeah, you're just a you're just a you're just a great resource. I have a lot of great resources. I'm very lucky. And it's one of those relationships where I won't talk to her for six months and I'll be like, I'm not, I don't even say hello. I'm like, my child, uh, did the blah, blah, blah. And she just calms me down because it's usually me that needs the attention, you know, and the calming. All parents go through that. And she just looks at me that she's looking at me right now. 
No, I love you here. She's looking at me with that look right now. Like, oh, poor thing. Yeah, Holly, thanks for thanks for being here. And um, and I'll have you back. We'll talk about other issues relating to baby. Sounds good. Anytime, my friend. Thank you so much to Holly Nagatoshi for lending her wisdom and time to us. I will put the resources she mentioned in the show notes. Also go to the show notes for that link for uh, my free ebook for being a listener. Understanding Ariel Silks comes out July the 1st. Thank you to Asa Watkins for music and post-production. And if you would honor me with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts, it really helps other people find this community. And I want you guys to enjoy your week. Thanks so much for being here. You've been listening to the Expecting Aerialist podcast. 